With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What is up, Jets fans? I am back. Yes, it is my voice you're hearing because, you know, I miss you guys so much. And we are now, by the time you hear this, we would be about a month, five weeks away from the kickoff of the league year. And it felt right to kick into this next part of draft season. I am your moderator, D.A. Osario, joined, as always, by Joseph Bellick. And as occasionally, but now going forward, Michael Beagan, fellas, how are you doing? Doing great, DA. Great to be on, man. Doing great, DA. Can't complain. You know, a lot of snow in the Northeast these days. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And you know what? That's okay. Before we jump to the draft talk, I want to get your Super Bowl predictions, guys. I am going with the Chiefs, 31-27. Mahomes is Super Bowl MVP. What are you guys doing? Um, I, I think it's going to be Chiefs, man. I think this, uh, yes. this is going to be the, you know, the next installment of this dynasty that is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs, man. Yeah, Migs, you agree with that? You think uh, Chiefs forty, Bucks seventeen? Think it's not going to be? I think it's going to be a ninety Super Bowl. Oh, wow. <laughs> a nice ninety, a nice ninety Super Bowl right there. Listen, I'd be I'd be floored if it's a blowout uh, because I just I think that the Chiefs match they're, they're, the way they match up against the Bucks receivers is going to be really the key because Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, like there is not a three headed monster in the league that can that can top that and then you have honey badger versus gronk that's going to be a key matchup right uh so i i hope it's a close game but i'm also really looking forward to the commercials man marvel's gonna yeah. trailers you guys know i love marvel <laughs> let's let's jump right in as you guys know seven rounds we usually kick this off with a grade the mock uh and so this was a twitter mock that was sent to us by and i'm gonna butcher his last name but he just dragged Luke Grant on Twitter. And so I feel like I need to get it right. <laughs> Bill Russomano. I hope I got that right. And his mock with the Jets pick at 23. He has the Jets taking the big boy wide receiver from LSU, Terrence Marshall. I like this pick. And I think that if you go quarterback at two, you got to give him a weapon with Denzel Mims. Joe, I'll start with you. What do you think? Yeah, first, a shout out to Phil Russomano, one of our listeners who submitted this mock. Um, I, I like this pick. I'm pretty high on Marshall. He's one of these scheme diverse prospects who can work at any system. Now, he played primarily out of the slot last season, taking on that Justin Jefferson role at LSU. But he's not limited to that position. You could pretty much line him up anywhere, whether it's inside or outside. And I think he'd be a, a huge asset to a coach like LaFleur, who comes from a system that prides itself on creating what they call a, a positionless offense. And... We've recently talked a lot about how Shanahan loves to attack between the numbers and Marshall is no stranger to producing there. I actually checked it out and in the seven games he played this past season, um, almost 600 of the 731 receiving yards came in the middle of the field. So really a nice fit for this type of offense. Now, 
he's not this yak monster they love in San Fran, and he's not going to be dancing a lot of defenders out of their shoes. But he does have run after catch ability, and he does a good job of you know breaking tackles, making people miss, and he gets up the field in a hurry. I mean, this dude is super fast. He's definitely a legit deep threat. Mm-hmm. He and Mims are actually very similar players, and having two receivers with their skill set on the same team would work really well with this kind of offensive attack. Take this, for instance. The, the 49ers use a lot of tight formations and condensed looks that can force a defense to bring an extra man into the box to potentially defend the run, which in turn can help uh, the passing game by creating mismatches out of bunch sets or, or even open up the deep part of the field, you know, particularly for, for receivers you know, with speed like Mims and Marshall, you know, who oftentimes actually in this setting will find themselves in one-on-one situations, especially with the play-action passing effect. So now imagine having two playmakers like Mims and Marshall getting these types of favorable matchups with their ability to create separation and threaten the defense on all three levels, whether it's short, intermediate, or deep. It would be an absolute matchup nightmare and very hard to game plan against, you know, especially if they draft a QB like Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, who could really air it out. And I think this is a scenario with this kind of firepower where you'll end up seeing something that resembles more of that 2016 Falcons or a bit more of that Packers offense with their ability to really stretch the field. And I think these guys would absolutely eat in this setup and and then mix in a guy uh, potentially like Curtis Samuel, who's been linked to the Jets recently, who can play that Debo role. And this offense might literally take flight. Um, (laughs) All right. Maybe I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but you know, I'm a big fan of Marshall. I, I, I'd say my only reservation with him is his blocking. So I give this pick a solid B plus to an A minus. But again, like I said last week, I do find it hard to believe, you know, Joe Douglas will draft a receiver here, although I'm personally all for it. You know, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I'll pitch this to, to, to Meigs in a second, but I think also you're, you're getting a chain mover, right? And that's what this offense really needs, right? It's, I think, too often you saw drives get bogged down, and a lot of that was Sam Darnold, right? And he, he missed Mims a lot, missed Herndon a bunch of times, would only look to Jamison Crowder, right? But a big part of that, too, is, and I think we hope that, you know, with better coaching and better schemes, and I really like what you touched on, Joe, with positionless football, because that's something that, again, the Panthers did a really good job of, right? Like, they, they didn't, they did not say, okay, well, DJ Moore is only going to play outside and Robbie Anderson's only going to be a deep threat. They were mixing and mixing and matching a lot of guys. And I think that's what you're going to see with the Jets and, and, and LaFleur, which is why I know Meigs wanted, I know Meigs wanted Mike McDaniel and I, I was higher on LaFleur, but I think that's what gives me a bit more hope. Meigs, Terrence Marshall at 23. Do you like the pick? Would you have liked to see them go a different route? What do you think? Um, I love Terrence Marshall, the player, and I like with all the skill talent that the Jets have not had in my lifetime, I'm never going to complain about a wide receiver in the first round. Marshall is a lot like Mims, and I really like that. My favorite wide receiver group in the entire NFL are the Cowboys because Mm -hmm. Gallup, Cooper, and Lamb can all play X, they can all play Z, and they can all drop into the slot, and that Mm -hmm. really confuses defenses. And I really like building a wide receiver room like a basketball team, and to me that's like all having – three wings who are just interchangeable all throughout. And that's just a nightmare for defenses. And I really think Terrence Marshall, Denzel Mims, and who Joe mentioned, Curtis Samuel, could give the Jets that look. And at 23, I think Marshall is going to be there. And maybe – I'm not really sure if anyone – if he could even slide to 34. So Terrence Marshall and the Jets something I'll always get him behind. I give this pick a solid B+. Plus. Yeah, and I, and I like what you used in terms of the basketball terminology. You're talking about guys that are going to go up and get the ball, boxing guys out, right? Because I think if, when you have young quarterbacks, this is kind of the thing that you see, right? If they miss, they miss high, right? Like like Lamar Jackson, for all of his gifts, right, the one thing that he needs to improve upon as a passer is 
again, if you're going to miss, you, you he's missing high, right? And they don't have somebody that's going to go up and get the ball for him, right? And so you want you're going to see some of those some of those kind of difficulties with either Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, right? And you want to be able to uh, make sure that you can say that you set them up for success as much as possible, right? And that's going to be key. Speaking of quarterbacks, for rounds two, three, and four, we are joined by former, former All-American quarterback. And, Mark, I don't care if you weren't an All-American. I'm going to introduce you as that. Also, All-American attorney. and from Absolutely not. <laughs> and from Touchdown Wire, Mark Schofield, my neighbor who lives 30 minutes away and who, once this pandemic is over, he and I are going to have lunch and a beer, you know, maybe some whiskey, you know, to, to, get, to, to celebrate the fact that, you know, Brady won a ring for him, so Brady goes on an eye, and I never have to deal with Tom Brady again. Mark, how's it going, brother? I'm doing well, guys. It's great to be with you. And, you know, it, I, I was an All-American in my mind. Let's put it that way. You got that exactly <laughs> right, D.A. I was an All-American in my mind. And we're going to have more than just a beer when we finally get to get together. Um, it's just a joy to be here, and happy Super, Super Bowl Sunday to all three of you, gentlemen. That's oh, right. We've, we've made it. We've made it. And as we know, right, because I think I think we're kind of in this once the Super Bowl is over, the NFL doesn't take days off. The offseason begins. We've already seen Matthew Stafford traded. We hear that Carson Wentz is about to be moved, which honestly, a month ago, if you had told me that he was going to be moved, I wouldn't have believed it. I didn't think the Eagles would take the, the dead cap hit. Mark, let's start with our team, the New York Jets, who you as a Patriots fan have seen your team torment us my whole adult life. Uh, the Jets are sitting at the number two pick. There's talk that Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston, right? The Texans come out today. They say they don't move them. For you, what do you think is the best course of action for the Jets? Is it taking a quarterback at two or are you going all in on Deshaun Watson in this offseason and what could be a franchise changing trade for the Jets? Right. It, and one of the things that I love about the NFL is when you see teams give themselves multiple pathways to either win a game or to turn around their franchise. And I think that's one of the great things that two teams picking in the top three have done. You know, the Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets, too, because you have this draft capital now. The Jets have the two first-round picks. They have Sam Darnold. They could go a number of different ways. If they decide to build around Sam, you could do that. If they decide to try to build around a rookie quarterback, you can do that. If you want to make a run at Deshaun Watson, you have the draft capital and the cap space to go ahead and do that. Now, in terms of Deshaun Watson, look, he's the unicorn, right? He's what... I'd say like 30 or 29 NFL franchises are trying to get the elite talent at the game's premier position. If you look at teams that win Super Bowls, you have to have that kind of player. And so if I'm the Houston Texans, I'm doing everything I can to try to keep Deshaun Watson in Houston. That may be dead and gone. Like everything we've read, everything that's been insinuated about this relationship between Watson and the Texans leads me to believe that that's a relationship that's beyond repair. So if I'm the New York Jets, I'm taking a run at Deshaun Watson. I mean, we joked before we hit record, anything short of making him the majority owner in the team, I think is on the table. Because if you get Deshaun Watson, you are immediately a contender, you know, regardless of what you put around him. He willed that Texans team to four wins that had next to nothing around him on both sides of the ball. Um, so, I mean, he makes you a contender, especially in an AFC East. Let, let's, let's face it, the Patriots are on a down cycle right now. Yes, the Dolphins were close, but if you get Watson, the Dolphins don't. And so now suddenly you're looking at a team that can probably contend with the Buffalo Bills. And then when you look around the AFC, it's a down conference for the cycle, right? It's down cycle for the conference right now. So, yeah, I think you take a run at Watson. The problem is 
Miami can make a run at them because they've got the same draft capital as you. And let's face it, the Jaguars, I mean, they could, right? I think everybody expects them to draft, you know, Trevor Lawrence, but they're in the same boat with the two first round picks and a lot of cap space. So you have three teams picking one, two, three that have the kind of capital to make a run at them. I think your, your pitch is you could become relevant immediately. You're playing in the New York city media market. Like, yeah, Miami's nice, but it's New York city. Like, right. and if you bring the New York jets to the playoffs, What's that going to do for your legacy? So I think that's the pitch that Sean will work. I don't know. He's got the no trade clause. But you, if you don't kick the tires on that trade, you're not doing your franchise good, good service. Yeah, and I think, I think you make a really good point in terms of just where the AFC is right now, right? So you have you have Josh Allen, who took that step this year. They got him still on digs. His numbers exploded. You have Pat Mahomes. The, I've, I've coined the phrase the born, the best out right now. He is, he is, it, it is him, right? You have Justin Herbert, right? Joe Burrow. You have Lamar Jackson. You have Ryan Tannehill. Like, you need a quarterback to compete yeah. with AFC. And I, as much as, and I was a little iffy on Sam Darnold when he first came out, but I don't think you can come back into this season competing against those guys with Sam Darnold unless, un, and, 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 and this is, and Meigs, I'll go to you in a second, but this is where Meigs and I differ. Meigs thinks there's no chance that this happens, right? Like, he wants no scenario where Sam Darnold comes back. For me, even though I don't think it's going to work here, if you say traded the second pick for a bunch of picks and then you added more talent, you signed Allen Robinson, you signed Curtis, you know, like you would have, you would have to really like the Jets have 85 million in cap space, just about, you'd have to have nothing at the end of this. Like I would have to, you would have to pour all into these resources to make sure that he's successful. Other than that, I'd rather go with the soft reset or get this franchise quarterback. Meeks, go ahead to you. Um, I completely, yeah, I completely agree with you, DA. In regards to Sam, if you gave him the Packers O line, the Bucks wide receivers, I don't think he can beat Pat Mahomes. And in the AFC, that's the measuring stick. Unfortunately, as crazy as that seems, and that's why I think you're going to see a lot of teams if they give these rookie QBs only two years, and if they're not up to that snuff, they're going to look for another one. And I really think Deshaun Watson is, he's every, like if Pat Mahomes didn't exist. We would talk about Deshaun Watson in such a different way because he is so special, but we have this alien in the same conference who's just basically rewriting football as he goes along. And you really have to do everything you can to make sure that you do your best to get Watson. And if they do credit to them. And if not, this is a really good quarterback class that I'm really excited about. You know, well, you know what I don't understand is like some of the Jets fans who don't want to make the trade. It's like, what have the Jets done in the last 54 years that would make you want to keep these draft picks. I mean, it's it's almost it's almost like ludicrous. I mean, if they have an, uh, the chance to bring in Watson, I mean, they should literally do anything. I know we mentioned the Oak, besides giving him you know 51% ownership, but I would do some things that I can't even talk about here on draft season to get to get to, to Sean Watson because it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, look, you acquire the the draft capital to give you an opportunity to get the elite quarterback. Like that's why you do this. And as much as we all love the draft, as much as we all agree that this is a very good quarterback class, like Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, uh, Zach Wilson, these are all elite prospects at the position, but there's still an uncertainty to them. There's no uncertainty with Deshaun Watson. And the other thing to remember is this, as much as I think like the sort of Michael LaFleur, you know, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, LaFleur, like type of offensive system could prop up Sam Darnold. It could make Zach Wilson great. It could make Justin Fields great. Think of what it could do for Deshaun Watson. Like one of the things that I think is sort of simmering below this quarterback carousel 
is what we just saw. We recorded this the day of the Super Bowl, right? NFL Honors was last night. Aaron Rodgers had one of the best years of his career in a LaFleur, Shanahan, McVay system. And I could guarantee every quarterback that's potentially looking at a new home is looking at that. Matthew Stafford's going to LA to play for right. Sean McVay. Like if you're, if that system can prop up the Baker Mayfields and the Jared Goffs and the Jimmy Garoppolo's, think of what it can do. You know, we saw it for Rogers this year. Think of what it's going to do for Stafford. Think of what it could do for Deshaun Watson. And so these guys, these prospects are great and they could pan out, but Deshaun Watson in this offense could put up Rogers like numbers, MVP like numbers, and that might carry you to the playoffs and beyond. That's a really, I was going to say, sorry, Joe. I was going to say, that's a really great point. And that's something that uh, in our TOJ draft chat has never, has not come up, but it's that it's this, this expectation that folks make like, Oh, you know, like you mentioned, we get Sam in this offense. You're going to see I Deshaun Watson's already been an MVP caliber quarterback, putting him in this offense. Again, like you're talking about, and you mentioned Mark, you mentioned this winning, uh, taking the jets to the playoffs. Imagine what it does to your legacy to win a title in New York. Oh, yeah. First quarterback that wins a, t- a title for the Jets. That's not a thing that happens in, in our lifetime. Like, like, let's be honest. Namath got into the hall right. on one right. Super Bowl with the New York Jets. If you right. do that, it doesn't matter what you do for the rest of your right. career. If you're Deshaun Watson, you're in Canton. Like, period. Right. That's your legacy. And I think that's part of the pitch. Like, look what winning a title in New York did for Namath. You will look become, what it did for Eli Manning. You will be Broadway Deshaun overnight. Like, <laughs> How can you how can you beat that? Miami, yeah, the weather is great. The big apple. Like, who doesn't want yeah. to be the quarterback of the New York Jets? Like, I'm a Boston fan. There's a Patriots banner over my shoulder, but I'd love to be the quarterback of the New York Jets. You can be a hero overnight. Yeah. Go ahead, Joe. Sorry, I cut you off. No, I was gonna say I, I think that's a great point. He's a proven player. I mean, that's you know, we I like I like Justin Fields, I like Zach, Zach Wilson, but having a proven player is worth moving up and getting especially like you said, in this kind of offense that is like really kind of quarterback friendly, I think the sky would just be the limit. And yeah, I think that we'd probably see a whole bunch of the Sean Watson statues being erected in front of people's lawns. If for some reason he came here and did what I think he, he could potentially do. I, I mean, mean, Nick Foles really got a statue. So, I mean, of course Deshaun would get one, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. true. Let's, let's pivot to the, to the draft quarterbacks, because again, if Deshaun Watson is not the move, the Jets, it stands to reason, are going to have to make a choice at, at two. Um, and we're, you know, we're a couple months away from the draft. You mentioned the LaFleur, Shanahan, McVay offense. In your mind, because, I mean, Grant, I don't think the Jags are going to be stupid enough to pass up on Trevor Lawrence, but you never know. Because when in 2018, when we were doing the show, we thought for sure Sam Darnold was going first and the Browns threw the curveball with Baker Mayfield. So you just never know. But in your mind, Mark, just with your extensive work on quarterbacks, who out of the quarterbacks, you know, Fields, Wilson, Lance, who fits this offense the best out of those guys? And who would be the pick at two if you were if you were a Joe Douglas? I mean, honestly, with this offensive system, you can see all three of those running it and running it well. I mean, I, I think, you know, you can make an argument that Trey Lance fits its best. I think there would be a ton of familiarity with that playbook. And I will tell you guys from, you know, talking to people in that North Dakota organization on that offensive staff, like there are things that Trey Lance does that are exactly in that Kyle Shanahan playbook right now. Like he could walk into that, you know, first day of rookie OTAs, rookie minicamp and be like, yeah, this is how we read it. This is how we ran it. Like I I got this play. I got this play. Like I'm ready to go. Um, And I, I think very highly of Trey Lance. I think the question there is level of competition, short, career in college just a freshman a redshirt freshman season at one showcase game um 
the floor question is the issue with Lance. You know, he might be the like boom bust, high variance type guy, but in this offense, I think it could certainly work. I think Zach Wilson, there's a lot of people why there's a lot of reasons why Zach, people are making that connection between Zach Wilson and the New York Jets too. Because again, I think he would also fit this offense. I think Justin Fields would fit this offense. And, and so when you sort of look at these three guys, I think it really is going to come down to sort of a matter of personal preference. Like which guy do you think can handle both the sort of growing pains of being a rookie quarterback in the national football league and doing it in a huge media market. Like, and I think there is, you know, a lot to consider there because it's not like you're going to say, you know, Indianapolis or Jacksonville where it's a smaller media market. This is New York city. Like it's going to deal you some bumps along the way, some bruises along the way. And some players have been in the New York media market, regardless of sport, like whether it's baseball, football, hockey, whatever, and it's shoot them up and spit them out. So you have to have that tough layer of skin. You have to have the ability to roll with that. And maybe you can make a case that, look, Justin Fields playing at the Big Ten, playing for a team that is viewed as a national championship contender every year, might be best suited for that. Maybe it's Trey Lance. North Dakota State has expectations. He was stepping into a system where it's a national title or bust every single year, and you're expected to win. And he's filling the shoes of guys like Carson Wentz and Easton Stick and you know all the great quarterbacks that have come through that program. He did it as a redshirt freshman, 28 touchdowns, no picks. Like that has to count for something. And so it might literally just come down, guys, to which guy do they feel can step into that environment and survive it? Because all three of them, I think, can run this offense. You know, I, I would probably say maybe Lance Wilson fields in order of who fits it the best, but it's really one, a one B one C. Like, I, I don't think any of these guys are going to come into this system and start to like struggle. You know, I think it's tailor made for a quarterback. And that's the reason why guys like LaFer are getting gigs. I don't know if I should. Okay, you mentioned him. Lance. I'll pass, yeah. I'll pass to you for a second, yeah. Joe. But I like that you mentioned Lance because we've talked about Lance a lot and just what his fit is. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I don't know if we should make anything out of this. You know, Zach Wilson kind of emerged this year after having kind of subpar years, his first couple of his first two stints there with BYU. I mean, he has this swagger to him that I think is really kind of amazing. He kind of seems to have that killer instinct. But we saw him kind of do it this year with not that many people in the stands. Like, is that do you think that could be potentially be an issue? I don't think a lot of people are talking like about that yeah. at all. Joe, I mean, it's this was a different year. I mean, this was certainly a different year, uh, different set of circumstances, um, college players. You know, we're playing in front of, like you said, like minimal crowds, smaller crowds. It's a completely different environment when you're, you know, walking into MetLife or you're walking into, you know, whatever, whatever they're calling the Bill Stadium now. It's not new era anymore, whatever it is. I like it's a completely NFL Sundays are entirely different, you know, and a guy like Justin Fields, who has played in front of some huge crowds, who has played in front in some massive games on some big stages like that has to count for something. And I think. A lot of people might get hung up on, say, the Northwestern game, the Indiana game when it comes to Justin Fields. I think the best way to evaluate him is to look at what he did against Clemson, say, two years ago in that semifinal game where he struggled against, you know, that Brett Vettables 3-1-7 look and what he did against them this past cycle when he carved that up. That tells you somebody that, okay, maybe you might get him early in his career, but he's going to figure things out. Like, that's one of the reasons why I really like Justin Fields, and I think people might be sleeping on him a bit. I've seen some QB3, some QB4. And it, again, these are guys, you know, QBs like 1B, C, and D in this class. Like, you could rank them any way you want, really. Um, but I think when you see the progression of Fields from, say, what he was two years ago to what he was this past year, and that jump from Clemson game one to Clemson game two, I think that should count for something. It should tell you that this guy is going to figure things out. This guy is coachable. And the other thing I'll mention with Fields, a lot of people didn't have him always slow to read the field. Nate Tice, who knows this game better than I do, 
talked recently on Twitter about so much of the Ohio State passing game is dependent on route conversions and reads and triangle reads. And so it might look like he's reading things slowly. He's waiting on the receiver to make their decision, you know, because they have to be on the same page. That's evidence to me that he's going to be able to run an NFL playbook better than people might give him credit for. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. In regards to what happened with Herbert last year, in regards to everyone thought he was a one-read guy who slowly couldn't really process the field, and he goes on to have the best rookie season I think I've ever seen. And then we look at Miami and Cincinnati, you're probably looking at the quarterbacks they take, and we're like, we have to do it all again. They probably take Justin Herbert for the next 10 years. So in regards, do you think you're going to see that in NFL front offices with fields that with that recency bias about not wanting to pass up on a Justin Herbert like talent? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I do think that two guys might change how we evaluate the quarterback position going forward, Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. And they're that same kind of guy where there's the athleticism, the talent, the big arm, but you know, the Chargers destroyed my boy Seth Kalina last night on Twitter and destroyed a bunch of people after, you know, Herbert won rookie of the year, you know, because Seth's out there saying, I don't think he can play or the people are just destroying him. But I think when you see guys like Allen and especially Herbert, like one of the things I really liked about Herbert coming out was the ability to just diagnose leverage and put the ball away from it. Like I get so excited. We all get so excited when we see a college quarterback. Oh, he's reading the coverage. He's reading the spun safety. This is super cool. And we like brag about knowing stubby and stump and things like that. None of that matters. Like if you could just see where the nearest defender is and put the ball away from that guy, you got a chance to play in the NFL. And that's what Justin Herbert did extremely well at Oregon, even though that offense did him no favors. And so I think you might see, Michael, a lot of teams, we know this is a copycat league. Everybody wants the next McVay. Everybody was not going to want the next Herbert. Everybody wanted the next Dak, the next Brady, whatever. People are going to want that. And so they might see a guy like Fields who has the arm, who has the ability to throw against leverage and say, I feel more comfortable drafting this kid because of what we've seen with Justin Herbert, what we've seen with Josh Allen, we could do that too. It might even help Lance because of the arm and the athleticism. We could do that too. We can have our Justin Herbert. I could be the next Brian Dable. I could be the next assistant coach of the year as a result. And so I think that's exactly right. It's going to help some guys that might've gotten passed over in years past because they can't run a pro offense. They can't read an NFL defense. They can, they have athleticism. They can throw with leverage that counts for something now. I mean, do you think that, you know, I actually had a question about that. So I'm, I'm glad you actually touched on it. And I, James, actually, he's not here today. He kind of brought my attention to this evaluator who said that Zach Wilson might have some issues with like these exotic coverages in the NFL because he didn't really see a lot of diverse looks in college. You know, what's, what is the difference between what he saw and what, you know, Justin Fields saw on, on any given day, you know, facing teams like Clemson? I mean, there's certainly a difference, Joe. I mean, there's certainly a difference. When you look at what Brett Venables does, when you study Brett Venables' playbook, I get lost. And again, I'm an idiot, but I get lost. Um, It's complex rotations. It's covered switches. It's the kinds of things that, you know, you might not even see in the NFL, you know, because when you play with seven defensive backs, like you you can do a whole bunch of nasty things. Um, Field saw more standard rotations, um, but there's still moments when you're seeing him, you know, dealing with spun safety looks, um, when you're dealing with those sort of coverage rotations where you think it's one thing, and it gets changed at the snap on you. So there's evidence that he can handle it. 
but I think there's a bigger body of work with Fields handling that. And both of those guys have more evidence of doing that than, say, Trey Lance. Trey Lance was seeing more simplified rotations where it's, you know, three spun to two or three spun to one, where it's like, okay, well, you know, we can all sort of read that, I think, at this point. Well, not really me, because I was an All-American in my mind. But, you know, again, you know, Fields has an extensive body of work. Wilson's done it somewhat. And it certainly, you know, does matter the ability to read that stuff because when you get to the NFL, the athletes doing it on the other side of the ball, they're more athletic, they're smarter, they're more experienced, and they're going to do it better. Um, so the more exposure you have to that, it certainly does make it an easier transition for you to the league. Mark, before we before we let you go, let, we will be remiss if we do not talk Sam Darnold. <laughs> so that is the nightmare scenario for, for a lot of Jet fans, but also there's a there's a loud contingent of Jet fans who would love to see the Jets running back with Sam now that there's proper coaching, et cetera, et cetera. There, uh, Adam Schefter tweeted yesterday that the, it seems like once the Wentz domino falls, that's when the Sam, Wentz, the Sam uh, domino would fall. For you, I've been predicting for about a month that I think he ends up in Washington. I think Washington is a team that, again, with Terry McLaurin, with Jeremy Sprinkle at tight end, a fairly decent O-line, that defense, though, and Ron Rivera, a coach who is loyal to a fault to his players, right? Uh, and they have the cap space to absorb what would be, you know, $8 million this year, and then if you pick up his option, $24 million the following year, and they need a quarterback. I think that they they, they, they kind of realize that. Um, what do you think is the best landing spot for Sam just for his sake and also just where the Jets can get the best return from? Right. It's funny you mentioned Washington, D.A., because I wrote that this week and I didn't know you had said that. Otherwise, I would have you know, given you the proper credit, which you deserve on that call, because I think, look, Washington's at 19. Right. If you really like Mac Jones, go for it at 19. But you're probably on the outside looking in and Washington needs a quarterback. I mean, that defense is great. Like you mentioned, they've got weapons on the offensive side of the ball. They just need a quarterback. And I think, look, if the Jets decide that we're going to go quarterback at two or we're going to go with the you know Deshaun Watson route. I think Washington is a good spot for Darnold because you could be a playoff quarterback right away. That's a bad division. I mean, we expect Dallas would probably be better. Um, the Giants are still kind of floundering out there. And look, the Eagles, man, oh boy, uh, that's that's a situation worth a whole another show. And who knows? By the time we get done recording this, once might be in in Chicago. So who knows what they're going to do? Um, so you could, again, similar to the Watson discussion coming to the Jets, you could bring Washington to the playoffs next year. I mean, this is a team that made it to the playoffs with, you know, Alex Smith, who's a fantastic story, but look, he's limited with what he can do right now. Kyle Allen and Taylor Heideke. I mean, and for whatever you want to say about Scott Turner, he doesn't have a great history of, say, developing quarterbacks. Taylor Heineke looked like a Pro Bowl quarterback in the playoffs against a Tampa Bay defense, which is in the Super Bowl tonight, guys. And so if you're Sam Darnold and the Jets are going to move on from you, Washington is a nice landing spot because you might land in the playoffs next year as a result. So I think Washington, if the Jets do decide to move on, is a nice little spot for him. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that's the team that uh, I think just makes the most sense. And I like that you mentioned the NFC East. The NFC East, I, I would expect Dallas, you're right, to be better. But the Giants came out this week and said that they're not going to go after Deshaun Watson because they're committed to Daniel Jones. So I have no clue what Dave Gettleman is doing. Nobody does. Nobody that's does. A I love Dave, but I mean, mm. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of questionable decisions that Dave Gettleman has made. I think sticking with Daniel Jones is probably one of them. You know, yeah. it'll be up there. But I get needing to justify it. Mark, before we let you go, Super Bowl prediction. I, I know I know you're a Boston man. 
Brady's your guy. Uh, does Brady hold up his next Super Bowl ring? And think about this, because I saw a stat this week that just blew my mind. Tom Brady has been to more Super Bowls by himself. Ten, right? This is ten. <laughs> than any franchise in the last 20 years. Like, he has more Super Bowls himself than any other franchise has reached. Like, you're, you're talking about put money on Tom Brady being in a Super Bowl 50% of the time, and, and, you know, over this time. Are you rocking with the Bucks, Todd Bowles, Bruce Arians, or do you think Mahomes goes back-to-back? Yeah, I mean, look, my, my heart's telling me Brady, and I'm seven months older than Tom Brady. I just get done playing with the kids in the snow and everything hurts. He's playing mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl tonight. So, I mean, I just there must be something to this avocado ice cream and no eating <laughs> strawberries, kids. I mean, there's got to be something to it. Um, my heart wants Brady to hold up number seven. That's a Brady-signed Patriots Pat, Patriot helmet over my shoulder. Nice. But like I mentioned with Pathways and the Jets, the Chiefs just have more pathways to win this game, right? Like, if you think about the four common outcomes, either a Chiefs blowout, a Chiefs close win, Bucks close win, Bucks blowout, I think three of the four are possible and two of them are Kansas City wins, right? Like, I don't think the Bucks are going to blow this game out, but I think, you know, the Chiefs could, you know, and I think the Chiefs could win a close one. And so I think, you know, the Chiefs have so many more ways to win this game. Their defense is better than people give them credit for. Um, I think Kansas City wins. I think it's closer than me said. I don't think it's a blowout, but maybe that seven to 10 point win. I mean, that might be kind of where we end up tonight, but still getting to 10 and the shot yeah. to win seven. Yeah. Absurd, man. And plus, yeah, it's, it's, it's the other thing. He's just Crazy. disgustingly good looking still. I mean, <laughs> we can admit that, right? It's better. He's better than he was when he was a rookie. It's he does. He does. And I'm sure he you does. guys all saw that like plastic surgery office that like put together all the work they think got done. I showed that to my wife and she's like, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, she watches some of those plastic surgeries. Right. She's like, yeah, yeah, it's gotten a lot done. I mean, and hey, if you can afford it, why not? I wish you I could. Afford I, it, why not? I, no, and I, I don't and want to look like this, guys. Right. I mean, come on. No, and I, I saw that and I was like, so you're aging, but you're essentially reverse Benjamin Budding. This exactly. Yeah, it's better looking as you go. It's, 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 it's insane. He's got a beautiful wife, beautiful kids, right? His wife, he, he and his wife makes more money than him. So yeah. he, Theoretically, not even do anything. Like, like Giselle's got me. It's fine. Uh, but it's ten, it's like ten all, Super Bowl. It's guy like all living in Tom Brady's world, really. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. it's his world. We're just kind of move moseying along for it. Yeah, I, I will say it is. It is one of those things where I think it's it, the era that we've lived in, right? So we've lived in the era of Michael Jordan, Tom Brady. Derek Jeter, right? Like a lot of these greats, right? Wayne Gretzky. Uh, and I think that's something that like when he retires, even though again, like Brady has caused me more torment as a Jets fan. Yeah. Uh, I think when he retires, I think I'll be, I think, I think it'll be appreciated a lot because this is not done. Like even Tim, yep. right in basketball, that run the Spurs went on, it doesn't normally happen. Right. So to 10 Super Bowls and he left, he left New England and showed that he can do it without Belichick. And I yeah. think that's – because you know Belichick will be back. But Brady to be able to do it when folks said he was – in, in the first year, too. In the first year. In the first year. Yeah, and I understand Jets fans, Jets fans not liking Tom Brady, but you have to respect them. You well, got to respect it. That's, that's like me with uh, Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter, right? I just – I despise those guys. Like every yeah. time I heard Enter Sandman, that, that song makes me want to like kill something. Um, <laughs> but I respect the hell out of those two guys. Yeah. Like every time I saw a Yankees-Red Sox game and somehow Jeter like inside-outs and inside fastball drew yeah. – you know, drops it over Pedroia's head and he's standing on second base by the time the third pitch of the game is thrown. It infuriates me to this day, but I yeah. respect the hell out of those two guys. Believe me. No, 
And you're talking about you're talking about you're talking about some of the greatest the greatest athletes to ever play the game. Mark, you are one of the greatest athletes to ever play. The game. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Draft Season, man. We greatly appreciate it, and hopefully we will have you back on in a couple because the Jets traded for Deshaun Watson. <laughs> that is hopefully. That, yeah. I mean, look, the universe. I've got a Watson Texas jersey handed in my closet. I would get a Watson Jets jersey and I will wear it for the timeline. If that nice. Happens. I I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mark. We appreciate you, man. Thanks so much, guys. It was a blast. Right. Take Thank care, you. Mark. Awesome. No, and that I mean, I think I think he I think Mark made a lot of really good points, right? About what the Jets are facing in this offseason when it comes to quarterback, right? Like I think you you have to you're at a crossroads for your franchise and you have a chance to turn this around very, very quickly. And I'm sorry, Jets fans, but no scenario of that turning it around quickly involves Sam Darnold. Yeah, I love how, I love how we brought Trey Lance into it because, you know, yeah. I, people, people are starting to talk about him a little bit more yeah. lately, but he definitely deserves a little bit more love. And I could tell that Mark definitely has that for him. Yeah, and I yeah. definitely do too. So yeah. Uh, I, I really appreciate that part of the segment for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go right to let's go right to the next round, fellas. Uh, so we're going to pivot to defense now because Robert Sala, new head coach of the Jets. Uh, the Jets have maybe one good corner on their roster right now. That is Bryce Hall. <laughs> he lived last year from Virginia. Uh, Brian Poole may leave. Uh, they cut Pierre Desir during the season. Uh, Bless Austin didn't really show much except that he's just a lankier Antonio Cromartie, I guess, <laughs> right? Uh, so let's dive right into DBs with a little bit of time that we have. Meigs, in Robert Sala's defense, what kind of corner are we looking for? In the and, and I don't need specific prospects, but just some traits that you think Robert Sala needs in order to run his defense from his cornerbacks. Basically, it's the polar opposite to what Greg needed, which is probably the funniest part of the Sala hire. Greg always used to put his guys on that island, and you know he would dial up zero and all those exotic blitzes. And while Sala did up his blitz rate like this year, I think more because of the personnel issues they have with all their injuries. The year before, when they had that top top defense that made the Super Bowl, they only blitz twenty percent of the time. They play a lot of zone, and you see those Richard Sherman like corners, like the Seattle corners, what everyone thinks of. But what really impressed me with Sala is what he did with smaller corners in his time, like the like guys who aren't as long, like Akella Witherspoon, Kwan Williams, what Jason Verrett did this year. And that's an exact opposite of what Douglas has brought into the cornerback room. You look at Quincy Wilson, Bryce Hall, Pierre Desir. Those are all guys who are 32-plus-inch arms and are over 6'1". So I'm really curious to see how that dynamic plays out. But you're really looking for guys who can play zone, who are physical, and really just – those are the guys I think really, I think Joe's going to tell us about the actual names we're going to see in this draft. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned Akello Witherspoon because he's actually set to be a free agent and that could be a name that Salah targets instead of Richard Sherman. Joe, in this draft, are there name, are there guys that fit what Meeks just broke down? Are there guys that Jet fans aren't talking about? I know there's a lot of talk of, you know, Asante Samuel Jr. I've mentioned Kerry Vincent Jr. a lot, right? JC Horn is a guy that I like, though I don't like for this scheme. Uh, who do you, who do you have? Hit us with some takes. Yeah, so I like, you know, how Meigs broke it down. I think overall this is a zone-heavy team, but I think the Jets are going to target fairly versatile players who can, you know, have the capability of playing in both zone and man. 33% of the snaps last year were actually cover one, so um, which is actually more than I, I believe he did in other seasons. You know, I think um, I think a lot of people think believe that Salah runs this, like, predominantly cover three team, but something Salah did this past season was some mix-up coverages based on the teams he faced. 
I think that's worth mentioning. There was a, you know, some criticism he, he was subject to after the Super Bowl where people kind of described his secondary as being somewhat predictable. And I think Salah took exception to that. And he really came into the season with a, a bit of a chip on his shoulder and, and he switched things up. You know, so as far as, again, these prospects, I do believe they will be you know, versatile, but obviously more concentrated on the guys who will excel in zone. So the, the guys I'm going to mention are that do have their flaws, but I think they display the versatility to play pretty much in both schemes. You know, Eric Stokes from Georgia, he fits the description. And I think Stokes is as versatile as they come. He's, he's good at anticipating routes and recognizing coverages in zone. And he's a very sticky, solid press corner too. I'm pretty high on him. Iafatu uh, Melafanu, I really hope that I pronounced his name properly. And if I didn't, I apologize. <laughs> um, but he's uh, from Syracuse. He's He's slowly becoming a household name and at six foot three inches tall. This guy moves really well for a player his size, and he's a very willing and able tackler. He also does a good job of keeping his eyes on the quarterback and reading his cues and zone. And he's shown the ability to, to play in press coverage too, you know, from what I've seen. Now, I think he's better suited for a zone heavy team like the Jets most likely will be, but he's a pretty diverse player and, you know, someone who can be used in various spots, including safety. And I think a coach like Salah, who likes to create confusion by mixing and matching his players, would would really get the most out of his skill set. I think he's a really intriguing option. Ambry Thomas from Michigan, you know, somebody that nobody's really talking about. You know, Thomas has a lot of potential as a nice fit for a cover three. But again, you know, he's displayed the skill set to hang in man. And I, and I fully kind of trust him in that cover one as well. You know, he does a, a really good job of redirecting wide receivers off the line and press. And, and he can pass off receiver, receivers in zone, all while remaining cognizant of other potential threats coming into his area of the field. I think he's one of those, again, like fail, fairly under the radar guys who can work really well in the system. Greg Newsom from Northwestern, one of James's guys, you know, shout out to James. I know he's not with us today. Uh, I think my, my favorite part of Newsom's game is his processing. He's very aware of how a play or a route is going to develop and he can break on a ball in a flash. I believe he can pretty much play in any system, but his vision and his awareness uh, would probably be best be served in zone. I think he's a really great fit. Oh, Paulson Adebo from Stanford is, a, is another really good option. And, and although I don't think he'll be available when they pick, as you mentioned, Dalvin, J.C. Horn, I, I think I'd love to see him on this team, even though he might not be necessarily a perfect scheme fit. I think that Salah would find a way to really work him into the system. And he would be an exciting player to see on, on this defense. That guy, he plays, let's just say he plays with a lot of passion. He actually reminds me a lot of, of and I, I don't use this name, I don't use this name lightly. He reminds me a bit of Darrell Revis in the sense that he plays with an attitude. Like he, he seems like every game he just really wants to like dominate the other receiver. The, the, and you mentioned Paulson Adebo, who I also like, and I think honestly may be better suited for a zone because he got burned on a lot of double moves, right? And part of me, part of me wonders, like, because again, with cornerbacks, and we see this all the time, right? You're fighting against your instincts a lot, right? Like you want to you try and mirror the routes with receivers. And that's when you see a crafty route runner, right? Like a Jamar Chase, who Joe, you mentioned this uh, a couple of episodes ago, how he sets up up his he sets up dbs right paul sanadebo is a guy that will get set up by a crafty route runner um, but i do like him i do like jc horn carrie vincent jr is a guy that i like and i've mocked him a few times uh because i also think and me because you touched on this in our chat the free agency cornerback class is not good at all no, this no. year right and so you may have to take two corners because you only have bryce hall you may lose brian pool or you take a cornerback at maybe 23 or 34 and you bring back brian pool because I, I, you're going to need three corners mark mentioned the 317 look the niners did some of that last year they did it they did a little bit of the 317 last year they put three down linemen fred warner in the middle and they flooded the zone with with cornerbacks the chargers also did that to lamar jackson in the playoff game not 
they, they last year they just flooded the zone with DBs. And I think if you if you don't get a Richard Sherman, who I think part of me thinks he's earmarked for New York, but if you don't get a Richard Sherman, you're going into the into the draft with Bryce Hall and nothing behind him. And I think that's where you kind of got to start to think like, okay, do we go high for a corner at 23, and then do we come back? You know, and I like that you mentioned uh, James's guy from Northwestern because in my list I had him on my list, and when you mentioned him, I was like, yep, there it is, right? Because I think there's guys that. Robert Sala is going to look at it and say, I'm going to take regardless. Like he's going to tell Joe Douglas, we, we need to take him regardless, unmistakable talent, et cetera. There's other guys. I think you see that later that he's trying to fit into schemes, right? So maybe he targets an edge and we'll get to this next week with Meeks minutes. Maybe he targets an edge that fits the scheme better. And maybe that's not the best edge, but it's the best one for his scheme. Right? So it's going to be very, very interesting to watch. Let's pivot for the, for, for the next round real quick. Um, you know, and I'll tee this up based off what Mark said. We both mentioned Washington as a team. I firmly believe if Washington offered you the 19th pick overall, you run Sam to DC yourself. Like you take him there tonight, you know, you pack his bags to quote, to quote Michael Rappaport, get the tape, get the boxes, pack your stuff. We're going to take you to DC. If the Jets somehow ended up with pick two, 19 and 23 in your mind and Meigs, I'll start with you. Three first round picks, three of the first 25. What are you doing with that extra pick? Because, again, we're assuming you go quarterback or, and this is something that Adam Schefter touched on in his article, he said that the Jets could theoretically use the pick they get for Sam in a trade for another quarterback, which in theory would mean Deshaun Watson. Would you go to 19-23 and then one more first for Watson, or are you you know, trying to keep those picks, drafting a quarterback, and then building around them? I'm interested to see what you guys think of strategy, but also any specific players you'd want to target with this extra first. Um, in regards to Watson, like if that is an option that is attainable, you just do it and then you just figure everything out later. I've always said if you can get Deshaun Watson without giving up both 23 and 34, you're going to be in a great spot and you're not going to be what everyone fears is, oh, we're just the Texans with no draft capital and Deshaun Watson, which is kind of one of the biggest lies you're going to see on Jets Twitter. If we do end up taking a quarterback at two, um, I really think with either 19 or 23, they got to go edge. Like, the pass rush means a lot for Stalas scheme. It's not the Seattle cover three that everyone like says he is, but the pass rush is really important. And you saw what Nick Bosa did for them. And if we think Quinn Williams could be DeForest Buckner, finding that edge rusher to be his tag team partner is going to only make him even better. And if we do end up with three picks, I would love to go wide receiver, but I really think Joe Douglas is going to trade out of one of those. And if he can get an extra two in the 2022 draft, so we have two ones and two twos, Next year, I think that's a really nice use of draft capital. Yeah, I like that. And I, and I think I think I will say that if he did, because I expect him to trade out of one of those picks. If they got three firsts, I do not think that they make three first-round selections. But I will say I think it's it, it, I could see them going with a guy like Christian Darrisaw at 23 to show up the offensive line for his rookie quarterback. I could see that. Joe, what are you thinking in terms of, say the Jets traded Sam for 19? Is there a guy that you absolutely want to take? Is there is there a position you absolutely want to fill? Or are you thinking, because I saw you gave me the thumbs up, are you thinking the same way I'm thinking? We go quarterback, O-line, trade back out of one of those, get more picks for the following year, and then we make this, you know, into a full-on rebuild? Well, I was giving those thumbs up for Christian Darrisaw. That's my guy, you know? And I, I think this is kind of a hard question, you know, to answer. But, I mean, not really. I, I think, But I think it's safe to say one of these picks will be an offensive lineman. In 2019, Joe D and Roseman moved up in the draft to get Andre Dillard with an already stacked offensive line, anticipating they were going to lose Jason Peters the following season. So 
we all know building the, the line is a huge importance to Joe. So, you know, some prospects I like, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker, Jalen Mayfield, Tevin Jenkins, Christian Darrisaw, which would be an absolute dream are uh, just some guys I'd pick here. But I think, you know, as Meek said, I think that edge is really a big time possibility here too, especially with Joe's draft history, you know, you know, and the transition to a four, three. So Jalen Phillips, you know, uh, Greg Rousseau, but, I think maybe what people are, and I, I, I do believe they will take an edge here, but you also saw Salah kind of turn this uh, Hyder guy into like an eight, an eight and a half sack, you know, guy last season when Bosa went down. So he could obviously, you know, work his magic with players that maybe people weren't expecting to, to post big production. So I, you know, maybe they will kind of wait because he knows, because he knows what he's able to do with, with personnel on defense. So maybe they will continue to attack offense. But again, Joe's history, obviously it's, you know, one of these, prize possessions. We haven't had one in a big time and it is very important to this, this defense. So yeah, I think edge, you know, edge and offensive line, I think are the most realistic options there, but I would also love for them to target a wide receiver like Rashard Bateman, or even we talked about Terrace Marshall or, or mm-hmm. Kadarius Tony is somebody I might consider if they don't pick up uh, Curtis Samuel right. and considering they have all this firepower. And, and although I don't usually support taking a running back in the first round, I I'd be pretty stoked if they drafted Najee Harris to lead this outside zone system. And uh, obviously we talked about JC Horn, but yeah, honestly, the, the possibilities are endless. This would be just an amazing opportunity for the Jets to have this kind of draft capital. It would be really fun, especially con- you know, considering what we do here at draft season. We'd have a lot. We'd have a lot to talk about. Yeah, I think I think I think you make really good points, and I think uh, you know Mark mentioned having multiple options to succeed. I think that's I think that's what you're seeing here. The Jets have multiple options to tackle this offseason. Uh, even if say they traded back to seven with Detroit, right? Say they traded back to seven and got you know the Detroit's seventh, and then the first the second round that they got from the Rams, maybe one of the Rams' first round picks that they got, right? So say like so Detroit goes up to two, you go back to seven, you draft Trey Lance there at seven and now you have even more assets to build around them. There's a lot of really, really exciting possibilities. And I think there's a lot of good talent in this draft in positions the Jets need, right? Corner, receiver, edge, offensive line, even running back. And I will say this too, and Joe, you mentioned this. Joe Douglas has been in successful front offices that have both been aggressive in free agency and aggressive in the draft. I not think it is it is I, don't, I do not think it is it is spot on to think that he's not going to do that just because he said that he's going to build through the draft. I don't I don't think I think you can build through the draft and still tackle needs in free agency. He's seen that done. The Ravens have done that. The Eagles have done that because, look, J- Joe, you mentioned the trade up for Dillard. But there's also an Eagles team that went in and, and paid Alshon Jeffrey all that money after the Super Bowl. Right. They paid twelve million dollars to not let him hit the market. Right. Like they gave once this big contract. Right. They gave once this big deal. So I do not think that this is a guy that's against going after free agency. I think for me, it's going to be fascinating to watch him deal. And, and what really is in a, in a lot of ways, him and his head coaches, not in a lot of ways, in every way, in factual ways, him and his head coaches first front first offseason together, because I do not believe Robert Sala signed up for this to be a five year rebuild project. I think Robert Sala signed up for them to be able to compete on day one. Right. And by compete, I mean, you just won two games or one two games. You now need to win six like that. For a four game win improvement should be expected. I should not expect the Jets to be picking first next year. If they do, something went terribly wrong. Uh, Meigs, Joe, happy Super Bowl Sunday. It's always a pleasure to be on with you guys. All of you, thank you so much for rocking with us for another episode of Draft Season. Thank you to Mark Schofield for joining us. Thank you to Phil Russomano for his mock draft, which gave us a different receiver than a lot of Jet fans are not talking about, right? We've looked at Rashad Bateman at 23. We've looked at, uh, I don't think we've gotten any of the Bama guys because they never fall that low, but we, but 
Terrence Marshall's a new one, right? Uh, and I think we're going to have more, more of this as we go because you have to give your rookie quarterback, if that's the route you go, a chance to succeed. But like Meigs and I talked about, if you trade for Deshaun Watson, Meigs, Joe, and I could be the pass catchers and we're throwing for 5,000 yards next year. So it doesn't matter, all right? And my 40 time is a good 6.2. Understand, 6.2. I'm almost 40. I'll be 36 in, in two in three months. And my and, But my 40 time being a 6.2, I could catch some passes from Deshaun Watson. Guys, thank you so much for joining us and we will be back next week. Uh, go Chiefs, go Patrick Mahomes. I do not want to see Brady holding number seven. I don't, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Have a good one, guys. Happy Super Bowl Sunday.